Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck, and they have. <laughs> and Fantastic. They have. We're starting over because Mike just did a quote. <laughs> he did a quote, like 45 million abortions. I just Googled it. See, this is the thing about living in the in the world where people just say shit. Is it true or not? No. I was in just 2018, asking. there were 652,000 abortions in America. Ah, That's close that? to 5 million. <laughs> 40, you said 45 uh, million. What a bunch of fucking liars. Man. You're the one repeating the lies. I was oh, asking man. the question. That's we found said, the problem in the world. And I it's apparently, it. it's Mike Mart. Yeah, and fucking oh, Bob no. World. I so, can blame for everything. It's now, okay. Now, now, we're, now they're wondering, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah. We started the, 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 uh, we started a podcast just like three minutes ago, Mike chimed in because I said, you know, the death rate in 2018 is way down. I think I think all the people, in, including the Justice Department who went after the fentanyl distributors, it, we all share in the victory of less death in 2018. That's great. That's why we started this podcast. But it's still interesting to me. The, the death rate is still far too high. It's going to be fifty in the 50,000. Is that it? For yeah. real? Yeah. Wow. From opioid overdose. I mean, death. that's not good. It's it's yeah, fifty thousand is crazy. It's better, but it's way but better it's than seventy-two thousand in two thousand seventeen. Yes, right. But but what the what I what I said was, you know, that's twice as many people that die from gun violence. Yet there's no advocacy about drug addicts or drug treatment or, you know, there, there's just nothing that has the passion for helping drug addicts or or doing something about the overdose problem the hopelessness and the helplessness in America as there is for gun control Right, though right. twice as many people die of drugs. Mike chimes in. What? Forty-five abortion. million abortions were last year. I, I was asking. I was <laughs> fucking asking. Forty-five million. Uh, so I was asking. That would be an abortion every hour on the hour. And then, as you More must know, that. people out there yeah. in the broadcast okay. world, Bob started yelling at me like we were in Thelonious Monster again. I know. I know. But and no. you were a drummer that couldn't keep time. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? That was like. A Trump comment like I've never uh, wow. heard of before. Wow, he just called you. Wait, we got to Don't take that, Mike Martin. No, I want to do something. You are fucking <laughs> twisting it around. I did not believe it. I was just asking. Wait, we got to do 45 million. Wait, I don't know the 45 the wait, wait, comes wait. from Trump. Hold 45. It. 45, too. 45 million divided by three. We should start the podcast every time. Like We're starting it over. No, that's, wait, no, no. Listen to this. That's 123,000 abortions in a, a day. That's a <laughs> lot. Fuck. We need to look Mike, at this. Where did you get that from? <laughs> the fucking internet. Some Christian site. <laughs> It, it was a it was a meme. <laughs> this internet shit has got to go. Oh, we got to get rid of the internet. Bastard. Wasn't our life better before the internet? I don't know. Yeah, fucking Al Gore. Yeah. Yeah. Al Gore and, and his the internet. WW Highway. Oh. All a bunch of fucking scumbags. Anyways, it's been. I have been in a good mood because I've got. <laughs> I've been reading all this CDC stuff. Death rates are down. And yesterday, I got to interview the Sam Cornarnus. I can't always say his last name right. He wrote Canonis? the Canonis. and he wrote the book Dreamland. And he was the first one really laying out what what Purdue was doing. And I was inter it was interesting. He didn't see Purdue as 
the evil empire like I do. And that made me think, <laughs> that made me think twice because I really respect him. It was like an honor to meet someone that, that bright and that brilliant and that fearless. You got to understand, he's going against against the pharmaceutical industry which means against the government too yeah that's a big deal and and no one was his advocate when he first started now all of a sudden it's four five six years later seven years later ten years later here we are and here we are <laughs> now everybody's on his side and no. he said if he had to say who was the most evil it was it was a it was a conspiracy of evil not a conspiracy in the in the, like the crazy you know conspiracy right, a money over everything. it was a perfect perfect storm of these these pain borderline pain client patients demanding drugs from doctors doctors being marketed to by purdue doctors being not making very much money because the hmo system it was this perfect storm right hmm. and there and there was enough evil to go around is what he, how he kind of but he didn't say, because I, 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 I said Purdue is evil. He didn't say, I don't think they're evil. He said, well, I've only met one evil person in my life, and it, it, it wasn't any of the people involved in this story. And, but he did say that the greed of it all, and I said, well, what is evil? You know what I mean? Right. People get too hung up on the word evil. Right. Well, anytime greed you choose money evil. over people, I guess, is yeah. a pretty... We have to take care of ourselves. We have to look after each other, man. That's a big deal. Yeah, and so so I just I've felt like for the last month and a half, like really that don't die the little bit that we've been able to contribute to the awareness, the parents, all the rehabs in America, and and that that Trump kind of thing that Dr. Drew was involved in. I mean, a lot of there was a lot of people advocating for drug addicts for the first time in the history of America. And it and it and the end result, more lives have been saved with with naloxone being distributed. You know, Stacy Matheson, this this wonderful woman that lives in in uh, in Nevada, um, her son passed away from drugs, and she just took it upon herself that that you know that first responders have to have naloxone, right? And this was about five years ago, and I was working with her in Las Vegas, and. I tried to get some footwork in LA County. Like, why don't you just have free naloxone, naloxone at <laughs> Rite Aid, right? right? Why can't drug addicts just go in? Why don't? Why isn't? Why is it illegal to have? LA County thought it encouraged drug use. Now everybody's changed their mind about it. Now everybody has access to it, and so it's been all this, all these little battles everywhere by all these thousands of people, but all in the in, in for the first time ever to advocate for drug addicts that were, you know, that were, were worthy of people caring about us and caring that we don't die. That's what yeah, I felt. That, really that's excellent. You know, you can check if you have insurance, call the number on the back of your card, find out you may be able to get Narcan, you know. You um, just pick it up, right? Yeah, you may be able to get it at no cost to you, even the injectables. And it's naloxone, right? Yes, but but the but the fentanyl one one dose won't do against fentanyl. It right? hasn't it hasn't been working on the people that I know have been using it have lately. You, do you it's use been, it at your treatment center? <clears throat> haven't I haven't had to? But do uh, you have it available? Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But I've it, got it, one in my car. 
it takes it's been taking three or four to keep people alive or to bring them back long enough to be able to get them to hospital i hate to be a hypocrite but i kind of live in a weird suburban life now where i don't interact with a lot of junkies Right? If I, if, if, <laughs> you, know you don't, because I mean? you would think like I must have shot up a bunch of people and saved their lives. Like, nope, not one time. Because <laughs> I live in Claremont. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no people ODing in Claremont. Not yet. <laughs> well, you don't but usually we cross see our people fingers. like, you know, on the side of the road. Yeah, they fucking... do in Ohio. You yeah. should see the videos, Mike, on YouTube. Like, people just see somebody laying on the ground and they run hey. up and shoot them. No <laughs> way. You know, those, really? you know those little text ones some for my backpack. That, that talk you through it where it's like, it says... You remove yeah, it the cap, you and then, then you take this thing, thing yeah. off, and then it says press against outer thigh and hold for five seconds, and it runs you through it. Well, I got one of those testers and brought it home, and Bug knows how to inject himself with Narcan, <laughs> but not me. <laughs> I go, okay, man, how do we do this? And he looked. Every time he does it on himself, <laughs> he and he, no, you're not helping, man. <laughs> That's crazy. That that. That you can save someone's life, they'll be dead without that. Yes. That's a, that's that's a, that's an amazing thing. And be sure but to, I have uh, never yeah. done it myself. You got to act so fast. You know, it's so important that if people have that and they don't have all the proper training, the first thing is you designate someone to call nine one one, and then you do the you know, and you do in the naloxone. You don't never shout at a crowd, call nine one one, or assume somebody heard you. Everybody assumes the next person will do it. Really? Yeah, that's a huge. So, it's a huge. I'm going to sound really naive, but what, do you, is it? Do you, is it a shot like an yeah, injection? Yeah. yeah, but it comes out of this like apparatus. I'll bring it next time have, we're together, yeah. so you can see. Do you have one around? Yeah, I have one in my car. So is it like the thing in Pulp Fiction? Where no, no, it's the- a little <laughs> box. It looks like a little box. Mine's <laughs> like that, like a square thing. Yeah, with the white. It looks white like a it. box of band aids when they yeah, used to yeah, come yeah. in metal boxes, and it. You every can, parent you do it, of every drug addict should have one right and you do it through clothes you don't have to take anything off you don't have to find the right area you do it on the outer thigh you don't even you can do it through jeans yeah and so it, and it's so a cool thing all these things that have just saved i think now tens of thousands of lives eventually hundreds of thousands of lives of drug addicts and what but then that brings us to the mountain we need to climb, Chuck, is these kids need to get sober, really sober and really thriving and really engaged in life. And that we're not doing such a great job at. So I think the the, the don't die message and the survival and, and all of that, I think there's so many soldiers on the ground all across America and we're all doing our part. It's working. So I feel like I want to pull out of that and I want to look to what will help these people feel that there's hope, that life is worth living, that sobriety is, is, a, is a precious, wonderful, valuable thing instead of a bummer or it doesn't matter if I'm sober, I still can't find a job. I'll never, you know what I mean? All the pessimism that caused the opiate epidemic anyways, it's still there. They're going to be sober for a period of time, and we need to, and this is my called arms of the 12-step world, we need to inspire. (laughs) We need to inspire, not criticize. You know what I mean? Right. Well, that's a rough one, you know? That's hard. There especially working in, in, in the industry we do, you know, there, there's a point where you, you feel like you start carrying people when you do too much, but to give them something to look forward to, that's why like that junkie road trip before it turned into last junkie standing was a good idea. Having something, if we had festivals or if we had things 
or stuff to do that's fun, that's community. You know, I... What's the last junkie standing? Well, that was what you turned it into. Ashley called it that because our idea was to take people that were clean and put them on a bus, and you turned it into last junkie standing where they're all no, getting loaded no. on the bus. <laughs> no, junkie fucking road trip. <laughs> right. Junkie okay. road trip. And I think it would be great. I've been on many of them. But, you know, take but, them on a real life experience. Well, anyway. that, yeah, but uh, that's impractical. People aren't going to do that. The 12-step solution needs to broaden and inspire the, when I went to 12-step, the first time, I believe, was probably in 80... Well, I went in the 70s, too. But, wow, but, you're old. But I know, I'm so fucking old. How I carry on, I don't know. <laughs> but, but in the 80s, when I really started going with a musician friend of Mike and I's, um, I was inspired. Like, musicians that I admired were sober. People were f- having fun. People were intellectually curious they talked about god in ways that i needed to hear people talk about god right the questioning of god or what is god and all this kind of stuff it was fascinating and and all the different interesting old characters and new new sober people what do, what do it you was think inspiring. changed that what do you think changed it rehab i really think it's rehab i don't think it's the members so much as rehab influencing the conversation of what sobriety is it's a bunch of psychobabble bullshit oh you know there there could be meetings that, that, that don't engage in psychobabble i mean they're autonomous yeah there there are there are meetings that don't engage in psychobabble i'm not saying that psychobabble psychobabble is a part of the fabric of the 12-step world now it was not a part of it when i first started going in the early 80s mid 80s it wasn't Nobody talked about psycho, their psychologists and their medicines they're on and, and their trauma. People talked about being junkies, being alcoholics, hitting bottom and being inspired and turning it around and being, looking at every day differently, right? It was a life program. It wasn't a, a medical problem program. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, then again, I'm I'm guilty of not getting to a lot of meetings or going outside of my bubble, you know. So I don't. I went and took a cake. Yeah. Well, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> you went to a meeting this week. <laughs> so this Saturday morning, my home group, Hollywood Strip, <laughs> a coffee club, not. Oh yeah, he went anything. because he took his nephew there. He didn't go. No, of his no, own, no. I took. He didn't go of his own volition. I did too. I, I went. I went to my other group down in uh, in in um in the Long Beach too that I started. That's just like the Saturday morning group. But that yeah, like that meeting that you had at your studio, right? That's the one you're talking rad. about. Yeah. That was rad. It was fun. It was full of life. People yeah. were fucking angry and. Well, there's fun some of those around. There's some of those. Didn't around, didn't so. they like? I heard somebody talking about the studio meeting. Like like they moved it somewhere else. Yeah, it's a the, the boxing gym down in Fourth and Cherry. Oh, but so anyways, I mean, I don't want to go down a rabbit's hole about it. I just believe that it's uninspiring, and and I hate to say it, the movie Bob and the Monster. All it really is is what my life was like, what happened, and what my life is like now. Oh, that's all it is. It's I've an heard AA that. pitch in an hour and forty minutes. It inspires people because it it's it's not preaching at them. 
It's not, it doesn't over-intellectualize the problem. It, it makes a problem human and real. And it doesn't tell anybody what they need to do or how to yeah. do it. It just says, this is what I did. And that's what we're supposed to be sharing and at 12-step. somehow step. I get, you know, I get all the things I used to get from the 12-step world of sponsoring people, helping people or whatever. I get that in these emails from people that were so profoundly affected by that movie. And I always email back like, dude, all it is is what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. It's the same as going to an AME. And they always, most times, respond Well, Kierger did a great, not. great job. Hmm. So, so back to the... Back to the basics of what is what what your life was like, what happened, and what your life is like now. Not a bunch of rules and what you do and all that. What your life is like now doesn't. The statement doesn't say what you do to have the life you have now. Do you understand? Follow me. Follow me on that, Chuck. I'm I'm hearing what my life was like, what happened, and what my life is like now. It doesn't say in there. Talk about how I got the life that I have now. Just describe what my life is like now. I'm free of guilt. I'm free of shame. Yeah, I, I don't. I can. I can look the people in the eye. I. 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 I feel whole. All these kind of really profound, inspiring things that junkies want to hear. Not you need to do this. You need to do that so you can be whole like me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's a turnoff, and especially it's a turnoff to me. And I'm fucking, I'm a, like ancient dinosaur age. Imagine if you're 20. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm kind of guilty of that because I, I don't, I don't go into. I go to a meeting every every day, or I went to a meeting every day. I did 90 and 90. I read page 62 and 63 and all that stuff. I don't say any of that, but I, I do, do say, all of those but, things. <laughs> but I do say, but I do say. uh you know, I, I showed up and I took some direction. You know, I followed followed some suggestions. But that's, I do say that's, that. that's technically not what the pitch is about. Right. The pitch is to describe your life, what it was like, what happened, and what your life is like now. That singularly being disrespected by telling people what to do, I think, comes from rehab. Rehab has the answers because we're making dough. You have to have the answers if you're making dough, don't you? <laughs> I don't know. That, it, seems, it seems like it's a little, I don't know, a little simplified. Because I don't... Listen, I, I, no one would work in rehab if they didn't make dough. No one does anything for if you, there's no money. Yes, they do. I, I help people for not, make, not money. It's it's it, rehab is a perversion of the twelve step, is it not, or is it? It's a little bit of the twelve step because no one else wants to deal with these people. I don't know. I do twelve step stuff at night and on weekends, and I don't I confuse the two. But but there is many times where that that person that you're that you're dealing with in the rehab environment, you could just as easily be just helping them in the real world. Sometimes. Or they, they wouldn't be there. So that, that's my real point. What, what is perverted about rehab is people who don't want to be there, who shouldn't be there, who are not, you know, like what I texted in, to everyone the other day. They're not desperate for help. They're not desperate to find a solution to their suffering. They just don't have any place to live. 
and their parents right. are mad at them. <clears throat> no, I thought that was a great that was a great issue you brought up, and I've talked about it with several people since that that thread because the idea of you know when we um, and it was a subject you know they were talking about willingness Sunday morning at the meeting, and I said, well, that's no different than the motivation. That's a clinical term. Your yes. willingness and your motivation are are equal, and both of those things really don't mean anything unless you do something. So what are you going to do? But the fact that you take pre contemplative people and put them in recovery. What do you expect? Exactly. What do you want? You're going to have a failure rate of, of 80, 90, 95, <laughs> 90, 96, 97, yeah. 98%. Here's, here's what, and I, I'm going to tell you guys at home. So uh, there's a bunch of us counselors that are on this chain, which is driving me nuts because I'm in like four of them <laughs> and they pop up and I think it's something important and it's Mike pontificating about something. Mike talking about fishing. <laughs> hey, fishing's <laughs> fucking important, man. <laughs> So, so, so I'm a part of these these chains, these messenger instant mess, these message chains with yeah. you, it's Mike. A, it's a bunch the of don't, don't die dies. guys. The Sacramento don't die. Um, uh, Amy, Amy, <laughs> like, Amy Dresner, but there's and a, but there's a bunch of different ones. Yeah, and Dopey Dave. There's a bunch of different ones. So, so I was responding to something you guys were talking about on the chain, and I just said this in 1988. I went to Hazelden, Minnesota, right. Um, I, I was there for about, I was in detox for like five days. I went to the main unit for like five days. I didn't like it. I didn't like God. I didn't like the, what, the bullshit I didn't like, but I loved the guys I was in with. I can still name them. It's Butch the lawyer, this old train conductor dude that looked 70 years old and he was only 40, right? <laughs> John, my roommate, greatest guy. We stayed friends for like five years afterwards. This guy, Ross, who was a banker guy. I still remember the guys. I haven't seen them in 30 years. I remember those guys' stories, right? Hmm. Greatest one was the train conductor guy, right? So at the time... <laughs> there was there was a couple pilots that got arrested on a on an airline. They were the pilots of a plane, and they were drunk, or they were you know they had a blood alcohol level, and so they were in my rehab with me. And everyone was kind of mad at them, like, fuck "How you, dare you, you fucking yeah. fly an airplane? You can be an alcoholic and a musician. You can be an alcoholic and be a banker. Yeah. You can be an alcoholic and be a fucking lawyer, but an airline pilot." Fuck you guys. Right. <laughs> Pilots and surgeons don't get to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so this one guy, Moon, was getting attacked a lot. And Moon? Moon. That uh, was his name. Huh. So, and I loved the guy. He was, he looked, he reminded me of my Uncle Mal. He looked like my Uncle Mal. So, um, Moon said, you know, at dinner or one of the when we were just hanging out, he said, "You know, where do where do people think us pilots learned how to fly?" And because there was a lot of tension about these pilots, they had been on television and they were arrested and all this kind of stuff. And so, so the um, so he goes, "We all learned how to fly in Vietnam when we were fucked up, out of our minds, scared shitless." He's, hmm. you know, people were doing heroin and flying planes in Vietnam, right? And so. So a lot of the pilots have that are working now in commercial airlines have addictive disorder. All right. <laughs> Substance use disorder. So it goes up in group one day, and the old train conductor dude, who wasn't old but just looked old because of alcoholism, um, you know, <laughs> I, me and John started defending the pilot guy, saying, dude, stop. Like, you know, we've already grinded him so much. It's unfair. 
and then a process group, right? And and they were, you know, the guys were like, it's fucked up. You should have never gotten behind the wheel. And then, they, you know, he said, well, it's not a wheel. It's a <laughs> well, anyway, it's called the it yoke. Funny group. It's a yoke, right? It was a funny group about these drunk, this drunk pilot, these drunk pilots. So this old dude, it gets really silent. Everybody's yelling at each other. The facilitator doesn't know what to do. This old dude says, "Boy, y'all don't want to know what I do for a living." It's <laughs> 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 the greatest thing. It's the first thing you ever said in group. <laughs> Boy, y'all don't want to know what I do for a living. We all turn to him old train conductor guy <laughs> go what do you do and he goes i'm a you know he was the engineer of a railroad thing right and we <laughs> okay. were like well i mean how much damage could you do <laughs> oh really <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was thinking well they don't fall out of the sky goes, yeah but, but i but i but i transport the nuclear waste from back east to oh. to uh, utah so he's drunk <laughs> conducting a train like not conducting it, driving it, or whatever. The in, the in charge of it. He's no, drunk it. out of his mind all the time while transporting nuclear waste across the United States. We all were like, "That is more fucked up than being." Yeah. you know what? I'd be drunk as shit, Dick. <laughs> Because I mean, you, you can't, guy, he should have never stopped drinking. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> so the point, the point, but the long-winded point I'm trying to make is, after about 12 days, of, you know, in the in the regular unit, I was in there about seven days. Staff came to me and said, "You have, we have an appointment with you at one o'clock." And I, I, th I don't go to group at one o'clock. I go meet them, and so I'm like, oh, you know, wonder what they're. They're probably picking me out because I'm so special and good. And they want to tell so me how well, good I'm doing. Good, yeah. good, right? Yeah. So get in there. It's, <laughs> it's my counselor. It's some head of the program that I'd never have met. And another g g gal from intake that I knew, right, since I'd been there. She was the one that did my intake. And they say, um, you know, Robert, doesn't seem like you're motivated for treatment right now. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they said... You know, we've determined, you know, you're not participating, you're not showing up for your one-on-ones, you're not doing this, you you have said you're not going to do AA, and and um, and we just we just feel that maybe you're not ready to be here. And we've, we want to make arrangements for you to get back home, and there's, we don't want this to seem punitive. I didn't know what the word punitive at the time meant. It means really small. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> it means very negative. <laughs> So, so, and I remember feeling panicked because I liked John and Moon and, and Butch and all these guys. I liked them. I was having fun, but I wasn't taking the program seriously. I can't tell you how, how that never happens ever, ever in the United States, ever in a treatment center nowadays where somebody's getting along to get along. They got paid $14,500 in 1988 cash, no insurance. Um, and they just said, you know, you're not motivated. This is probably not the right time for you to be here. Right? That's amazing. Do you think they still do that? No. <laughs> Damn it. 
That was. I a, do not I, think Hazelden does that. Hazelden has Suboxone uh, tracks and pain management tracks. There's, they're, they're as full of shit as all of them. <laughs> no, they are. I, I thought we'd be able to hold them up as a shining no, example. I sent a. I didn't send a client. A client went against my will to the Betty Ford Center about five years ago, four years ago. I wanted him to go to Cry Help. As soon as I started talking about Cry Help, all of a sudden my patients become awfully willing to go to the Betty Ford Center or. <laughs> and you were being positive. <laughs> about it too yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. giving them the highlights so he goes down there and i and his dad asked me if if i would drive him down there and i drive him down there and, and he's down there and i said to the intake person he's the biggest bullshitter i've ever met and you know what my history is with bullshitters right don't let him manipulate he's gonna drug seek He's unbelievably sophisticated at getting benzos and opiates and whatever. They say, oh, we've seen it all. The girl's like, oh, yeah, no, we're, we're very the best, the best, the best, the best, Betty Ford Center, Betty Ford. Da, 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 da. The kid was in the pain management track on 24 milligrams of Suboxone within a, a week. In fucking rehab with the dad paying fucking 80 grand. He stays down there for three months, high out of his mind, getting Klonopin PRN and Suboxone at the Betty Ford Center. So I don't need to hear their PR or somebody defend them. I have personal experience with how full of shit they are. They just want to make money like every other rehab center, right? And I guarantee you they don't go, hey, you're not motivated for treatment. I think you might want to go home, right? No treatment is. Aloe's not. None of us are. And that's that's a sin, it's a sin for profit. And it profoundly affects the motivation, willingness. And I think addicts, real addicts, which only about half the population that's in treatment are real addicts, in my opinion. There's this new high Mach 2 version of addicts that I don't understand or I don't know how to help. But the real addicts know that you're bullshitting them for money. They know it. In their heart of hearts, <clears throat> they know it. Well, they say it out loud, too. <laughs> They've never said it out loud no, to they, me. They say it out loud. They go, you know what? Then I'll just fucking leave. And you're not going to let me leave because you want the money. Wow. They say that to you? Oh, there's I no. I think people are scared of me. They would never say that to me. You know, <clears throat> I, don't think, I, don't think, I don't think they'd say it to Warren or you, but they say it to me because oh, they, they think I'm one, of, I'm one of them. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I'm not, I'm not near the so top of it. So that me and Warren are the ones that want the money and we'll let them stay? And, they're, and you're on their and side? I go, and I go, and you're on their <laughs> side? Yeah, I'm on their side. <laughs> And, I, and I'll tell him, I go, you know, I go, you're, you're at OP level of care. You think it wouldn't be, you're not making us any money at this point. It'd be easy to let you go. But I, you know, because the thing, I, I want to pick your brain on this a little bit more because I, I love the way you think about things sometimes, most of the time. And that, that is at 12 days, like I, I've seen people come in and they're brand new. They're gung ho. They're going to do everything there is to do. And then at 30 days, they've lost interest. Yeah. And then I've also seen people at 10 days, just because we took away their dope, their booze, their sex, their freedom, that they, they fall back down and they become motivated again if you have a positive client right. culture. So, well, what I think Hazelden did with me is you got to understand Mike knows I had green dreadlocks. No one had dreadlocks in America then. It wasn't you did. I did. So I had green dreadlocks. I was an arrogant asshole. Like everything, everything described by Pete Weiss (laughs) and Bob and the Monster, I was right. 
And I was very entitled. I came in a big, you know, big to-do first class airfare and who's, where's my valet and all that sickening stuff that I'm ashamed of now, but I was that. And that's why I'm so tolerant of it. That's why it works so well with musicians. Because okay. they're all like that. <laughs> it's funny when people go, I like when people go, is he, is he famous? And I go, do you know who he, who he is? No, then he's not. Not that famous. Yeah. Everybody knows who Beyonce is. Yeah, that, that's thing. <laughs> I have a story about that too. Like fame, fame, fame is not what it used to be. Let's put it that way. No, it's, but, it goes cheap, doesn't but, it? But, but so, so I, I was all these things that they were ill-equipped to deal with at Hazelden, mostly bankers and lawyers and record company executives and movie stars and stuff like that went there. Punk rock musicians didn't go there. You know, it had only been a thing where someone like me even had the resources to go there for like three years. You know what I mean? Everybody, a lot of stuff's coming up about about the 80s and music i don't i did an interview with some online magazine they were asking a bunch of questions and i i realized like none of the people that i knew that started bands and i would say as far back as 79 80 you guys mentioned jim decker the other day he had a great band called the Flyboys. so yeah pretty much invented power pop in orange county it was a great band it was john curry jim decker it was amazing that band, and and Dennis William Walsh remember, was in that too. He oh, was the was drummer. He? Yeah, I still remember their single, um, "Like a Serenade in the Sky," and the girls all wonder why. Like a serenade, it was power pop in 1978. Yeah. It was amazing, but but so I just hung out with Jimmy the other night. Yeah, that, yeah, I saw it online. I see everything online. Wow. Claremont has Wi-Fi, Chuck. What? I'm involved with the world. I you just guys don't got a leave signal here. up here? Yeah. So, so Jim the, Decker loves fishing. Yeah, does he? That's what you're yep. that's what you're on, on that messenger stream. But but really all the people that I knew that got in bands it was never that you're going to be like what the Red Hot Chili Peppers became or Rage Against the Machine, it was, or, or, or Offspring or even Bad Religion. Like the possibilities were really limited as to what you were getting into it for, right? right? One of the things that was the most exciting that's so lost on people now, Mike, do you remember the first time you ever heard a song of yours on the radio? It was the most magical thing. I was there when the first time the Chili Peppers song got played on the radio, the first time Thelonious was ever played on the radio. It was like magical. Yeah, for me, it, it was, was Rodney magical. on the Rock. Rodney on the Rock. Did they play Funeral or Texas? They played Funeral head? stuff on the, on the uh, yeah. radio. Uh, You'll never so forget ecstatic. that. Sitting in your car and your music is coming through the air. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> right. No, every Sitting kid puts in your a car thing on in the driveway. Cloud. Yeah, in the driveway of K Rock. Yeah, right? it, yeah, but it, it's it's true because everybody just puts There's, their stuff on the internet and it's it's already out there. It's yeah, that, and it's just it. It's you don't so, have to earn it anymore. So it's just nobody there. nobody was motivated to become Led Zeppelin because that was an impossibility. Mm-hmm. If you're playing this kind of music, Bad Religion or Offspring or Chili Peppers or Jane's, even Jane's Addiction. First time I saw them, I had seen Psycom and I I thought they were more like the English bands like Specimen or Joy Division or whatever. Then I see the new incarnation, which is Jane's Addiction, and I was like, this is badass. I love it. People are going to hate this. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised it caught the way it did, to be honest. It was amazing. Because it was, it, be- what they had done is they took that that kind of Joy Division specimen Bauhaus and turned it on 
on a Led Zeppelin guitar riff and, and beat. It was so cool what they had done, right? They had, first song they ever wrote was Mountain Song. Did you know that? The Come first in, rehearsal, man, man. the first really? song they ever wrote was Mountain Song. That's a good How one. How fucking crazy is that? I would just quit right then. <laughs> like, like that. Okay, we wrote a rock classic that's equal to anything ever written. Let's just call it a day and become drug counselors. You know uh, what I mean? That, yeah, that's, or host a tattoo show. But see, <laughs> I, know, I, I, I was flipping through and I saw him on one of those things and I, I was like, this Dave. is just weird. He's the greatest. One of we the should, funniest guys ever in history of mankind. And nobody knows it. We should have him on the show. Yeah, we should. But can you get Dave Navarro to come to Claremont? We'd have to go to him, Mike. That's fine. Okay, he's living in Hollywood, probably. God, that Hollywood, there's drugs there, there's prostitution. How could you stay there's, sober Oh, my in that. God, how could you go there? Like, oh, I boy. grew up there. I feel safer the there than I do with bears. <laughs> <You're> really, <laughs> why do you park over where the bears are? Because you told me to park down there. Well, that's only if you're blocking me. <laughs> <laughs> One time I parked up here and I got the look. Oh, and the, Jesus, what oh, are you doing? You're parking behind can, my car. Can you park down there? And I, <laughs> So since then, I've been parking in the bear area. So since Christmas Day, I've only left here like three times. Good for you. <laughs> I feel like Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> God, I'll just be at home, boys. Come on by. It's a good place to be. Yeah. It's a good place to be. I see all these. You got all these kid instruments in here. What are you doing? We were jamming. We had a Christmas jam. You know, the, the, the little bit of family stuff. So I bet on global warming a couple months ago. I bet that it was going to snow like never before in Mount Baldy. So I ran a cabin on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, right? So we would be in the snow. Well, I lost. There was no snow, let alone, there was nothing. There was, it was just cold and miserable, and we got cabin fever and drove home. Hmm. Right. So then I had to figure out what can we do to liven things up around here. Jam sesh. So ha. Sydney has her little toy piano and her drum. She bangs with one hand on the piano and hits that drum right there. That's with the fantastic. <laughs> Elvis on the drums and me on the guitar. I had the electric guitar in here in the amp and we made a lot of noise. I bet it sounded like what I do with the clients. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we, Warren has a great keyboard. He's got a CP 33 Yamaha piano sounding that keyboard has songs in it no 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 but it's it's just a really good sounding when you're keyboard. playing with that many people that don't know how to play music you gotta oh. have a song you gotta have a beat going for well it. i bought 10 pair of drumsticks so they can beat on the cement floor and i've got a couple shakers a couple acoustic guitars a bass and an amp for that and it's kind of cool we, we do it for about an hour, and it's like 45 minutes of just horrible noise and five minutes of that, brilliance. You can, are you a guitar soloer, or you're just a... No, but I've got clients right now that are. Yeah, you need a really heavy guitar soloer, because solo on top of any noise sounds like a song kind of. Yeah. <laughs> it's not mountain song, there's this, but... There's this old client of mine, his name's Aaron, but he goes by Levi something on the internet, it, he has this song because I he knows I love guitar solos. He wrote he did a song forty five minute guitar solos, just bass and drums and him soloing for f almost an hour. I sent it to Seidel, Mike, because Seidel loves loves guitar solos. It's it just like, like a nightmare soloing, just <laughs> and then it comes down. He holds it, and gets feedback, and then it gets mellow, and then it gets all amped up. Is it again. John? Was John Seidel that was into the Grateful Dead and Double yeah. B and Double yeah, B? Yeah, right? Double B. I they worked with them. Big, the big ass. 
Double, uh, dead fans. Yeah, huh? I went with them. I like taking cocaine and going to the Grateful Dead. Oh Take cocaine and do anything. I, 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 absolutely, I, I, I loved didn't it. think the, the, my our friends were on heroin, but I thought coke was a better choice. I just can't LSD handle was jamming for like you know. No, I, mean, I was scared of LSD at a dead show. What, how do you get out of there if you're having a bad you, you situation? You don't. You just hang out. And no, you but just coke ride made it. me happy. I went. I went up to an Oakland show. We stayed at the Holiday Inn right in the Oakland Coliseum parking lot. Did coke. I did heroin too, but mostly coke. I don't know. I was in a coke groove. I don't know. Yeah, that's another thing mm-hmm. kids don't do. I would get into coke grooves. <laughs> it costs a lot. It doesn't last long. And there's other stuff that'll get you. But faster. makes you feel good. And you're yeah. not all depressed. But they're not doing the feel good thing. We had this. We had this yeah, thread. Chuck, it's all organic. We 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 had this thread on um on that on the. Can you imagine trying to give me Wellbutrin in 1990? Like, here's some Wellbutrin. This will really take care of you. Dude, I know how to make myself happy. It's called cocaine. <laughs> hey, do you think there's some kind of weird relationship? Like, oh, like, like real heroin is organic, and so is cocaine. It's from plants. It's organic. Do you think there's some weird, like, synthetic? Well, like, the withdrawal is, is worse off synthetic drugs, for sure. Connection with this whole new millennial mock and fucking addict well yeah mike wanted to know what i meant by the mock too it's 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 a it's a combination of things the drugs yes are synthetic and and harder to get off of and and much more young severe. people are less equipped to deal with the reality of existence right that's fucked up because because they've been coddled there's a book i've been reading called coddling of the american mind it, it has these three lies that we have been telling young people and telling ourselves for about 20 years is what the writers, these two big intellectual guys, um, this, have seen. It's about 20 years we've been telling, yeah, telling ourselves, really, uh, some really bad uh, truths, that, uh, saying they're truths that aren't truths, that your feelings are paramount. That feelings yeah. are the most important and they're valid and you should trust them. No. <laughs> that is the most batshit crazy idea to tell people ever. Thank you. Feelings are bullshit. Yeah, right? that's true, yeah. They're based on... on feelings yeah. aren't facts. Uh, yeah, that's a 12 step. There you go. But... But, but they, they cause you to, to make emotional decisions and wrong decisions. Yeah, and they're ill-informed, and they're based on trauma. They're based on, you know, your lack of, of ego strength. They're based on a lot of things. So you can't trust your feelings, but we're telling, we're validating feelings constantly. We do it in rehabs all the time. Your feelings are so important. I don't give a fuck what somebody's feeling. That's their problem, right? Unless I caused it. So they're saying I caused it. Then, I, then that brings me into the conversation. And then we can have a conversation about, hey, maybe you're a little too sensitive. I didn't even mean that. I wasn't even thinking that. Yeah. Well, I still feel that way. Well, fuck you. Who cares? No, nobody says that anymore. I, you know, how many times were we told as kids or young adults, fuck you, who cares? Sticks and stones. <laughs> Will break your bones. But I mean, based on how I'm feeling, like I can't imagine going up to Flea and Anthony, going when they left me out of some coke shooting binge. Like you really hurt my feelings, guys. (laughs) I'm gonna kill myself. Well, there's also this thing that I've been hearing so much about. I've been accused of it is universalizing, which I love that word. Universalizing my experience. 
Yeah, it's everybody has to. Everybody has yeah. to understand my yeah. experience, and not only that, but making that it also makes your experience the same as mine. So you must understand you me. Must agree. Well, it, that's it's, the second. It's part negative of it. on two. Wait till you hear the second. The, this is the, th- the first rule: is what doesn't. We're, we're being we're, children are being taught the exact opposite of what prior generations were taught. We were taught what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So life's going to happen. Your parents are going to die. Fucked up shit's going to happen. People are going to betray you, but you're going to survive it, and that makes you stronger. You learn at dealing yep. with life. Children are now told what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. So avoid life. <laughs> avoid always be always be a victim of something somebody did to you. It's teaching weakness, and it's actually a psychological term. It's teaching lack of ego strength. Ego strength is what carries you through right through loss and grief it's a sense of self right okay but it what you're saying is this collaborative sense of self you need to validate me by my feelings Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff so the first rule that that they're saying is being taught everywhere in universities high schools to children we uh, we in 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 boardrooms in hr departments of companies is what doesn't kill you makes you weaker Trust your feelings. And third is, life is simply divided between good people and evil people. Good people and bad people. And now, and that's what's created this vortex in America where you can't agree with the other side. Uh-huh. You, you know, there's only the good people, the, you know, not on the side of liberals, the good people believe in climate change and they don't like Trump and they think the uh, immigration that, is great. That's, and that's a whole standard of good people. That's their belief. Then the Trumpers believe that these goddamn liberals are ruining everything and they're saying you can't even say the words that you want to say and all this political correctness so they're the, they're the good people right the good americans and the other side the liberals obama hillary they're the evil ones and so but we're doing it with our children right, right. and well, and so polarized thinking is one of the first things we try to combat in treatment is that nothing is all good or all bad that the, the, even things that are good have shades of bad that there's all this there's there's a gradation in the scale well, that it's like, not that, and you tell that radiation and you tell that in what it was like what happened and what it's like now when i say what what happened i got arrested i thought it was the worst day of my life i was facing three years in prison three years you know when you're arrested and you're in and you got all that and, and you got to read your intake uh, thing to find out what you're arrested for <laughs> how many things you're charged with yep. and how many warrants you have that feels like the worst thing that could have ever happened and in reality it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me right because nothing was going to stop me nothing only the jail could stop me i had been to rehab in that Prior five months, probably five times I had left after three days, after three hours, after a week. I couldn't stay through the detox. Mm-hmm. So how the fuck was I going to get sober? Right? Right. This thing that I thought was the worst thing that could ever happen turned out to be the first brick in the foundation of a life that everybody says is so great, and they're, oh, you're doing so great, and whatever. It doesn't feel like that when you're living it. But yes, I can see, oh my God, the difference between my life before that brick was set in place and after it was set in place, night and day, no doubt about it. But what I think Mm. 
talking in 12-step languages, people can look at the outside, look at my life from the outside and go, oh, he's so lucky and he's so fortunate and so this and that. That's not what it feels like. It's still, we had the poop coming up out of our shower this morning. How do you like that for a blessed life? Poop comes up out of the shower drain, Chuck. That's not very cool. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> Chrissy won't even go in there. I scrubbed up. We had the Roto-Rooter guy. We had the guy out here. It was the greatest guy. The guy was out here within two hours and fixed it all. Um, I knew he'd be talking about poop sooner. Yeah, later. yeah. Poop, poop is like 90% of my life. We have a new dog, too, if you want oh. to get into that. so Howard's pooping. How's, so, it, how's it pooping? Is it pooping good? It poops. How's it pooping? It poops. But <laughs> well, I'm a poop. I'm a poop weirdo. As soon as it poops, I have to pick it up. Like I can't just let it be. Do you wear gloves or do you use a paper? I towel? use paper towels and bags from Target. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you don't care about the environment, huh? Plastic bags. And huh? I'm getting a lot of exercise because even if it poops like in the backyard area. Or sometimes it doesn't poop in the house during the day, but at night sometimes it can't hold it all night. Right? Wait, wait, you I let it? You let it out? How big is it? It's fifty pound bulldog. You want to bring her over here? She. So we're told at the pound that it's six years old and it's lethargic and it doesn't even jump up and just kind of looks at you. So I'm like, that's a fucking dog for us. Like, just Perfect. go lay down. It's an ottoman. Well, apparently it was a little weak and had been struggling and had infections and whatever. They it's had now it on a bunch fully of healthy. It's now fully healthy and very it's, active. And then we're having it. The dog trainer. We have it look in the mouth. Like, Do you think she's really six years old? She looks in. She goes. She's still got puppy teeth. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god! The next ten years of my life is going to be this dog knocking Sydney over. Like it's a fifty-pound bulldog comes running full board, just knocks into her. Uh, what's the dog's name? Peppa Pig. <laughs> Jesus. Peppa <Christ. laughs> Pig. Okay. Let's you go back. Peppa I do Pig. know Peppa. All their faces Mike, look do like you wieners. Know Peppa Pig? Yes, I do, but not like you guys. <laughs> Georgie, Georgie's Georgie. got a dragon. Mine are, mine are older. Oh, Peppa Pig. So, but, but so Sydney said that Peppa Pig, and it does look like Peppa Pig. Oh wow! Honestly, it looks like a cross between Winston Churchill and Peppa Pig. So it looks like Grandpa Pig. <laughs> <laughs> it should be Grandpa Pig. What? I just wanted a dog to lay around. I, I had a whole bed that I was going to have it lay in the living room, <laughs> and it was just going to be the cool bulldog that doesn't do much. Because my friend Elijah has a, an old bulldog. It doesn't do anything. If you come to his house, it doesn't even come to the door or bark. <laughs> it doesn't even give a fuck. It doesn't even look at you. I wanted a bulldog like that. That's not the bulldog we got. We got the bulldog that runs and runs and rolls over and knocks shit down. So it's going to dog training. It going without you, or are you going? Oh with? no, I have to go. See, see, my folks <laughs> bought a bought a Russian Great Dane. That's a. It's that a, sounds like a dog that just lays around. Does it's, it it's, just lay around? No, it's like <laughs> ten months old, and it's one hundred and twenty pounds, and it's about this high. So they've got a. They're working with a trainer because when a dog's that big, it can hurt. It can't. It can't. You can't. It can't run. I mean, it you can't run away from you. It has to be well behaved. And it is a struggle. And I'm watching it just age them at a blinding pace. It is, <laughs> Your parents? It's, it just sucked the life out of them. They were a vibrant 70-something-year-old couple. I go over to see my dad, and he's just like, hey. Mike, what do you think a good son needs to do? He needs to take that dog off oh. his parents' hands and train it right and have it be around the boy. I think you made an emotional 
an emotional decision to get the dog based on your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. I wanted so much for Sid to have a dog, right? And a lazy Yeah, a dog. dog that she could just like look at. There's our dog. It'll this get that way in a couple years. It's mm, a couple years. Yeah. Like, you, uh, don't know you, guys, years. you guys have seen my black lab. <laughs> my black lab just lays around, man. How about this? I got a fence, but it doesn't fit any of the doorways because that house is weird 40s. <laughs> like the fucking, it doesn't spread across right. far enough or it's too wide. You know, I bought right. a $50 you can't collapse fucking far fence, yeah, a or, wooden one that looks cool. It doesn't fit any of the ways I want to contain the dog. So I decided I'm going to use the kitchen trash can and this chair, and I'm going to put it there, and and I secured it. I pushed the chair against the wall. I got the trash can perfectly. I got it. Now it can't go out of my office, the kitchen, the bathroom, and the backyard area, right? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't do it like overtly like pushing it down with its nose. It, I walked up to it and it was wag, wagging its tail, getting all excited that I was in, and it hit it with its butt and just knocked the trash can over. <laughs> and the chair. Even just try. with the fucking dog's butt, knocked the the the, the gate down. Well, Frenchie did a great job with the trampoline. <laughs> Maybe you need to call him to do. How do we contain the, this dog? <laughs> you Is know, it, does he have a crate? No, I don't like crates. Seems like you're putting him in jail. Well, maybe the dog needs to go to jail. You, Work for ever, you. Have you ever crated a dog, Mike? I have, and they love it. It's a weird no, thing. No, they don't. I, I swear to God. So they act, they they act like it's a they, cave. They do enjoy they love the it. safety like of when, it. When you do it when they're young and um, you don't lock them in it to be to punish them, you just put, you know, you let they them go in, in there. Yeah, right? you let them go in there to be like, you know, alone. To they, think. They end up loving it. I put mine in in the house and see the dog, i want a dog oh, like mike's mike's doesn't do anything it just lays there it's walks older. real slow it's and older. then when somebody want to trade dogs mike but when somebody comes <laughs> when somebody comes to the door the dog is very i mean that dog has probably averted a lot of robberies in my house oh it barks oh my god it's fierce this dog doesn't even bark i i think if if mike mart liked you He'd trade dogs with you. He'd trade dogs. Well, well, I, be, I only do Labradors. I hate to be, you know, discriminate, but I, I, I only do Labradors. Yeah, Labs are really smart. That I, hey, I knew what I was getting into because Elvis loves bulldogs, and you know, and uh, just bulldogs are cool. Chrissy likes bulldogs. Does he know Elijah's dog? Uh, yes, he has, but he doesn't remember. It's uh, Elijah's got like five of them. Not my son Elijah. This other Elijah. He's got like he's had like five bulldogs through the years. Huh. And they're all real cool. That's kind of what I based my getting a bulldog on is like, they're cool and mellow. He walks it around, doesn't have um, no leash and stuff. Call but Jonesy. Doesn't Jonesy keep bulldogs? Does he have run? Uh, yeah. I thought maybe. he did. He's going to be on the This Life podcast I hear. Really? Yeah, I'm excited. You know, if we were in a different broadcast area, we could probably... Yeah, if we were in Hollywood. Well, we're going to transfer to Silver Lake Aloe. We are going to. Claremont's hard to get even close friends to come out to. You yeah. know, I think... I'm, I'm That's a great think, idea. Yeah, we'll do it in Silver Lake, and then we can get more people to be on the podcast. But anyways, in the end, all I wanted to say on this podcast is all the people across America, Stacey Matthewson and the Milwaukee Don't Die Guys and Sacramento Don't Die Guys, and and all the people in, in New Jersey with my friend Mike and all the people that care and that have been doing the stuff that we talk about every episode here for a couple of years now, it's working. And, How and satisfying is that? 
Yeah, that's great, man. You I know what it. I mean? I love well, it. you know, and, and what is really cool around it, I know it's not, this is the one cool thing that's happened to me in sobriety, is being able to enjoy other people's um, successes and Dave and Dopey getting like a million, million, a million downloads. How cool is that? That there's and that the Dopey Nation stuff you, popping it, up everywhere. Mike, are you spotting the evolution in Chuck? Do you remember a year ago when I said I love this Dopey podcast and Chuck was like, "Oh, I don't. I've heard oh, about that. I don't, I don't know oh, about that." Oh, oh blah, 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 blah. Yeah, they talk about <laughs> use. They glamorize drug use. <laughs> they, glamorize, they certainly yeah. do. So, uh, no. but but yeah, all, all the people that cared and took took uh, took to arms and tried to do something about it, it worked. And so this gives yeah, me it's great all about hope. awareness. It's all about this awareness. This gives me great hope. But the next, the final frontier is how to really help these people. Now you're getting them to survive. How do you really help them? That will be the subject of the next two years of Don't Die podcast. Narcan mm. available in Walmart. You're now. not going to die, but are you living? <laughs> well, that is that's uh, that's what I really like the those constant guys. You know, the Don't Die. We'll figure out the rest later thing. Now it's on the, the time to figure out the rest we'll later. Fi- we'll figure out the sounds, rest later. It sounds really simple. It's the hardest part of the whole thing. I'm yeah. convinced. Of. Well, you know, but but now there's some people that have gotten. I think there is like a whole new wave because it's a whole new type of addiction and it's a whole new thing. There's a whole new wave of people coming through this thing. And it's exciting to watch it try to take root. But where is it going to get all the traction? Where is it going to go next? What is new? Let's start exploring that in the new year. Let's let's. I want to have one of the smart recovery guys. You know anybody in smart recovery? I know a I know a lady. Well, yeah. Why don't we see if she would want to talk? I, I just want to know more about all the different directions people are going. I got a lot of friends that just see a therapist. And like talk, you know, talk to me, talk to a couple sober friends. Yeah, Don't no. go to twelve step meetings. Lisa's They're smart, sober. and she's a she's a certified ringleader or whatever they are in smart recovery. Oh, okay, she's, well, so that, and, that is a great note a to wrap it up in. Yeah. On and um, I have a new slogan. I think that we should start pushing is that, and and that is that dying is not cool anymore. No, it's over. You, dying you know, is not. If you cool didn't die in anymore. 2016 or 2017. You know, stop. Now, enough is can enough. that be our new lo- if you're slogan? Still here, <laughs> if you're still, still here, here, it's like knock the it 27 off. Club. If you didn't die in the big <laughs> opioid crisis, it's over for you. Yeah. No, you're not going to die. No longer is cool. cool. No longer <laughs> anymore. Cool. I remember, let me say this. When I, was tw- when, I was, when I was like 28 or 29, some guy that me and Mike really look up to in the 12-step world, he, he, I was like, I had three days and I had just gotten out of jail. And he goes, how old are you, Bob? And I said, uh, 29 or whatever. And he goes, too late for you to die a romantic death, isn't it? Yeah, yeah sure is. <laughs> yeah. No sense so, in it. So, so are we saying 27-year-olds have the... Everybody that's alive, it's too late for you to have been a part of the cool thing that happened in 2016, yeah. 2017. You're going to have to change your life and get sober and join us. It's over. It's time to, like- time to... now. Now it's time for figuring out the rest. It makes me think of lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. <laughs> Everybody stop getting shot. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> See you later. Bye-bye, everybody.
Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die podcast. Got 100 people a day dying of drug overdoses, and it's got to stop. Aloe Treatment Centers wants it to stop. We want people to get educated about drugs, about treatment. We want you to learn, laugh, and live. But first and foremost, don't die. 